Well, for our scripture reading this morning, we are jumping to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, and you can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1587. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it be shown favor from the Lord their God. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to that church door in Wittenberg, his first theses read this. When our Lord Jesus said, repent, He willed that the whole of the Christian life should be repentance. That is to say that the life of a believer should always be conforming away from our own will and towards the will of God. 
No, today is not Reformation Sunday, but it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are looking at a text of Scripture where the words of Martin Luther ring true. For the the miracle child that we look at today is John the Baptist, a man who spoke a message of repentance. This Advent season, we have been looking at these miracle children that we find throughout the Scripture. If you recall from our first Sunday, we we looked at Isaac, this child of promise, a, a boy who seemed like he would never arrive, for his mother Sarah was both barren and very old. And when God had told her that she would conceive a son, do you remember her reaction? She laughed. She, she doubted God's word, for she was already 90 years old, and her husband Abraham was 100. And yet, within a year's time, Sarah did give birth to a son, and she named him Isaac, which means laughter. You see, the, the laughter that Sarah now had was a laughter of great joy, for she experienced the faithfulness of God and was blessed by that faithfulness. And then during our second Sunday, we looked at Samson, another miracle child. For God had blessed another barren woman, allowing her to give birth to a son. But not just any son, but but, but to a judge. A judge who would deliver his people from the oppression of their enemies. Samson would grow into this mighty warrior who ended up taking on a whole nation by himself. God used this man throughout his life to remove the heavy hands of the Philistines. And yet, if you recall, Samson's greatest victory came through his death. For he defeated more of his enemies through his own sacrifice than he had previously throughout his lifetime. And then last Sunday, we we looked at Samuel, uh, another miracle child born of a barren woman. You see, it was his mother Hannah who who was suffering from a great sadness as the Lord had closed her womb. And her sadness was made worse because she had a a husband who lacked compassion and a, a rival wife who year in and year out provoked and irritated her. And yet she brought her sorrows to the Lord. And the Lord answered her prayer through his priestly ministry. It was Eli, the the priest of God, who who blessed this woman, bringing back hope, hope that she needed. The Lord worked in this woman's life, taking away both her sadness and her shame by giving her this son, whom she named Samuel. And this Samuel, he would go on to become priest over Israel bringing revival to a nation that was stuck in unbelief. And all this leads us to today, and a fourth miracle child, a child who would become a prophet of God, a child who, who came at the precise moment in time in order to prepare the way for God's salvation. Let's look once again at, at Luke chapter 1, look at verses 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. I think we've heard this story before, haven't we? This is now our our fourth righteous couple who could not have children. And we know that they were righteous because Luke tells us. He says that that both of them were upright in the sight of God. That they followed his commandments blamelessly. But not only that, Luke Luke mentions as well that they were very old. Highlighting the fact that that they were well past the age of, uh, of childbearing. Now to any Jew who knew their scriptures even just a little bit. They they would have considered this couple and been reminded of Father Abraham and Mother Sarah. The the similarities are just too striking. And in a sense, uh, one can almost anticipate what will happen next. Well, let's find out. Look look, look at verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by law, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now being a a Levite, Zechariah had the privilege of serving as a priest to the Lord. But, But what did this practically mean for Zechariah? Most likely... Zechariah wasn't in that elite class of priests. And so his, his, his service to God as a priest wasn't a common thing that he did. It, it has been estimated that at the beginning of the first century, there were roughly 20,000 Jewish men who served as priests. Think about that. What we see described in this text is is that Zechariah, he he wasn't one of those higher-ups. He he was just part of the priestly division under Abijah. He he wouldn't have been considered a Sadducee, one of those powerful men who who controlled the temple courts, gaining wealth and power. You see, the, the Sadducees were the ones who were in and out of the temple on a daily basis. They were the ones who who performed all the most important duties in service to their God. And only from their ranks could could the high priest be chosen. The man who would once a year enter into the Holy of Holies, that, that, that back room, the throne room of God, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where the high priest would make an offering for the forgiveness of sins for God's people. And so Zechariah definitely would have never been selected for that most honored position. He would have never had the opportunity nor the privilege that these Sadducees had. No. He was but a lowly, faithful Levite, fulfilling his duties as limited as they were. And yet we see that on this date, his division was called to duty. And being on duty meant that one of them was required to light the altar of incense. Now this 
This was a special privilege. A privilege that a, that a common priest could only do once in his lifetime. And so the fact that the lot fell on him was a big deal. For, for he would be able to enter into the, to the inner, sanctu- inner sanctuary and get as close to God as he has, had ever been. I can only imagine the, the excitement that Zechariah felt as he walked through those temple doors. To his, to his right, he, he would have caught a glimpse of that, that gleaming table that held the showbread. And, and to his left would have been the golden lampstand with each of its seven lamps brightly shining. How his heart must have been pumping within as he took in everything. And then there at the, at the end of the room, just a few, a few feet in front of that great curtain, the, the, the curtain that separated this inner sanctuary from the Holy of Holies, that would have been his destination, the altar of incense. This would be the closest that Zechariah would ever get to God's presence. This was his time. This was his moment. On this day, the lot had fallen upon him, and he would take it all in. And yet as magnificent and as awe-filled as this moment had to be, it was about to get even more dramatic. Look, Look at verses 11 and 12. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. As if out of the pages of Daniel, suddenly this this glorious angel appeared before Zechariah. In fact, as we'll soon discover, this, this was Gabriel, the exact same angel who had spoken to Daniel more than 500 years prior. Look, look at this account from Daniel chapter 8, verse 15. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Notice the similarities between this account of Daniel and what we just read in Luke. Both men were terrified. They were shaking in their boots. And this was because they were in the presence of of a glorious being. An angel whose glory was beyond them. For they had been visited by one of the servants of the Most High God. A messenger of the Lord who spends countless days at God's throne. I don't know if you remember the story of Moses, but when when he would go to God's presence, when he would walk out of the tabernacle, it said his face shone brightly so much so that no one could look his way. He had to wear a veil covering his face. And just as Moses' face shone brightly, this this angel Gabriel would have been radiating with God's glory. What a terrible 
terrible sight for a sinful, sinful man to see. And yet Gabriel would calm this man's soul as he spoke the purpose of his visit. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. In other words, you don't need to fear me, for I bring you good news and not evil. But what was this prayer that Gabriel was referring to? Often many read this text and think that Zechariah was praying for a son. And while that is a possibility, I think there is a more likely option. You see, Zechariah, he was already an old man. And his wife, Elizabeth, she was an old woman. They were both well past the age of having children. Perhaps they used to pray for a son. But they were at a point in their lives where most likely they had moved on from that. But if that was the case, then what would be the prayer that Gabriel was speaking of? What was Zechariah seeking God for? The clue to this comes to us through the meaning of the lighting of the altar of incense. You see, during this ceremony, when the, when the altar was lit, the, the rising fragrance was supposed to represent the prayers of God's people. Prayers rising to the throne of God. Who remembers what the men outside the temple were doing as Zechariah entered in? They were praying. And the typical prayer that, that would have been heard from these men was a cry for help. They, they would plead with their God to bring about his salvation. That, that, that he would send his Messiah to rescue them. I believe that this is, was the prayer that Gabriel was answering. The prayer that Gabriel answered as Zechariah lit that altar of incense. And this is what we see when we look at the next verse. Look at verses 14 through 17. Here we get a description of this miracle child that is about to come. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What, what Gabriel is describing here is the Lord's coming. And he begins with this description of the very one who would prepare a path for our king. What kind of man would Zechariah's son be? What kind of ministry would he accomplish? 
This, this miracle child, he would be great in the sight of the Lord. And just like the two other miracle children before him that we looked at, Samson and Samuel, he would take this lifelong Nazareth vow as well. He would, he would pledge his life to God's service. And what's more, we, we see that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. In the Greek, the literal rendering here is this. He, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb of his mother. And this is proven true in one of the first stories that we see in Luke's gospel. For this boy, he would leap for joy in his mother's womb when the unborn Christ approached. Look, look, look at that story. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 39. At that time... Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You see, even before he was born, the Holy Spirit was guiding the son of Zechariah. And he was pointing this child to Jesus Christ. And this would be the very thing that John the Baptist would do throughout his life. He would point people to Jesus. He, he would prepare the hearts of both men and women, of both the old and the, and the young, that they might be ready for the, the, the coming of their Messiah and the salvation that he would bring with him. But what did this mean? What did this ministry of this miracle child look like? Look at, look at Luke chapter 3, verse 3. Speaking of John the Baptist, it says this. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. The ministry of John the Baptist was a ministry of a prophet. This meant that he would speak the truth, the truth of God's word and the truth as he called out the sins of men that they might repent, that they might turn from their, their wicked ways and their unbelief before the arrival of their king. Dear friends, real change is hard. And it doesn't happen through good feelings or hopeful wishes. 
It can only come through the surrendering of the self. And that is a challenge of the Christian faith. For while Christianity is a religion based on grace and not works, it is also a religion based on repentance, which is a letting go of any autonomy or self-will that you might have. It is a relinquishing of of that crown that you have placed upon your head as you bend the knee to King Jesus. Listen, when when Christmas comes, we, we tend to be filled with all these good feelings. Feelings of joy and peace and And hope. And we have those feelings because we are celebrating the birth of our Savior. We're celebrating the salvation that He brings to us. And we should feel this way. But but ask yourself what does true salvation mean? What is Jesus saving us to? True salvation means Jesus is going to right all that is wrong. He's going to make that crooked road straight. He's going to fill in that valley. He's going to flatten that high mountain. And these things require surrender. And surrender is not something that we as sinful people like or want to do. And yet we can't get to Christmas morning, to the good news of salvation without the prophetic word convicting us and demanding that we change. John's message was a message of repentance. For the kingdom of God was at hand. The king was coming. And he demands a loyal people. And that message is still true today. I mean, think about your own life. What is it that you believe that is not in in conformity with God's word? What are you embracing that, that Christ wants you to let go of and release? Let let John's message speak to you this day. Let let this voice of of this one crying out in the desert smooth out that, that, that stony path of your sinful heart. Let this miracle child lead you to Jesus in order that you might see God's salvation. What was the hill of unbelief that needed to be flattened out in the heart of Zechariah? Going back to our passage, let's look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my, my, my wife is well along in years. Sure enough, Zechariah doubts. He, he, he is looking at, at his worldly circumstances and not at the glory of God that is surrounding him at that moment. The, this message that Gabriel had given to this man, it, it just seemed too far-fetched to be true. And, and just as 
Both Abraham and Sarah laughed when, when God told them that they would have a son. Here we see Zechariah in a similar state of disbelief. And this is why we see the response that we do from, from this angel Gabriel. Look at verse 19. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Zechariah, open up your eyes. Do you not see what is happening? I am the angel of the Lord. I don't come to just anyone. I have come directly from God's throne. And he has told me all that he will do. So stop doubting in your heart and know the truth of this good news. And when you think about it, you see, Zechariah, he, he should have been one of the first to believe. I mean, after all, he was a priest of God. He, he knew his Bible well. He, he knew of all the previous times that God had done the same exact thing. Of all the miracle children that, that came from barren women. And so as a reminder of the certainty of God's word, Zechariah became mute. Mute until the birth of his son. This nine-month reprimand allowed him the time to ponder upon God's miraculous working. Nine months to consider how the Lord can do far more than he could possibly imagine. Sometimes the trials that we face in life are sent to us directly from above. And they are God's way of waking us up. For he desires repentant hearts. Hearts that will turn away from our selfish wants, our selfish desires. Hearts that will turn towards his will. Let me ask you, how often do you take the time to contemplate the trials in your life in order to better understand what God is teaching you? How often do you consider the, the difficulties that you are facing and realize that these difficulties have come directly from the hand of God? That he is using those things to, to mold you and to, and to shape you. God wants you to sit still and think. He desires your repentance. You see, Zechariah could not speak because from his mouth came unbelief. But now he had the time to sit, to reflect on all that the angel had spoken to him. And yet, even though that was the case, even though Zechariah was being rebuked for doubting God's word, God had still chosen this man, flawed as he was, to be the father of this miracle child. You see, it was no accident that the lot fell on Zechariah that night. For God had chosen this upright man, along with his upright wife, to be the parents of John the Baptist. 
This boy who would one day become a prophet of God and the very one who would prepare the way of the Lord. Yes, this was God's plan to deliver his people. He would take this old and and dried up couple and bring life once again to a barren land. And this is God's plan for you as well. When, when you look to John the Baptist, when you look to, to, at his ministry and all that God had called him to do, what you will discover is that he was a man who would challenge his hearers with the truth of God's word. For he was a, a prophet just like our Lord. He, he, he preached the same message that our Lord preached. A message of repentance. And it is a message that defies both space and time. For, for wherever you are from, and from whatever generation you call your own, it is only through repentant faith in Jesus Christ that you will find favor with the Lord. That you will find salvation. And these are the words that Elizabeth spoke at the end of our passage. Look at verses 23 through 25. When this time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth became pregnant and eventually gave birth to a son. And they named him John, or Johanan, which means God has shown favor. You see, God didn't have to send to us his prophet. He he didn't have to send this man, John the Baptist, who would prepare the hearts of, of his people for this coming king. But it was through his kindness that he allowed the lot to fall on Zechariah that night. It is through his mercy that he allowed this barren woman to become pregnant and to bear a son. And it is through his grace that he allowed this boy to grow up into this bold prophet so that he could deliver the good news of an answered prayer. And I believe that it was Zechariah who said it best after He had the time to ponder over this gift. Time to repent from his unbelieving heart. You see, when when John the Baptist was finally born, Zechariah's tongue was loosened. And what came out of his mouth was not unbelief any longer, but the word of the Lord. Look at the the end of Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. After his father... His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, 
to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God which by the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today confessing that we are a broken, broken people. Though we may go to church every Sunday, And though we may read our Bibles on a daily basis, we still cling to our own desires. We still have doubts and unbelief. Help us to repent. Repent when we go astray. May your prophetic word reach into our hearts and flatten out the mountains of sin and fill in our valleys of unbelief. May your Holy Spirit straighten our crooked paths And may he direct our eyes to Jesus Christ, the very king to whom your prophetic word points. For he is our true salvation. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.